we come to our teaching this morning. If we can put up the, the PowerPoint on the screen. Um, so just another reminder about um, the, the Glenn Scrivener Mission Week, which is coming up uh, at the end of April. Um, all the details about all the events uh, during that week are now available, and they're going to go out tomorrow uh, by email and by WhatsApp and on the Facebook page. Uh, so do look out for those. There's a whole variety of events happening during the week, including cafe nights with um, Glenn speaking and Q&A, including a, a lunch in the Lodge Hotel and a men's breakfast in Portrush and a golf night for those who golf and a history walk around Coleraine for those who history. Um, so there's all kinds of things happening. So uh, I guess the idea is that as you think and pray about your friends and what they might come to, there'll be something during the week uh, that you can invite them to. As we said before, Glenn is just a really clear, creative, winsome communicator about uh, the message of the Christian faith. Uh, so we'd love you to be thinking and praying about who you can invite. So look out tomorrow for uh, all the details that will be out there. You don't need to book for anything except the lunch and the breakfast, because you need numbers for those. But everything else you can just turn up to. So uh, look out for all the details. So let's take a moment as we come to Isaiah this morning. Um, let's, let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for the sunshine which lifts our hearts. Uh, thank you for a chance to be together, to worship, uh, to lift up our voices together. Father, we want to thank you for another chance to gather around your word uh, and to listen to what you've said there. And Father, again, our prayer is that we would come uh, with our hunger, we would come hungry to your word, that we would come expectant, that we would come with a softness of heart where we're ready to hear and receive uh, the things that you want to say to us by your spirit and by your word. Um, Father, we want to pray in these moments, would you take away distractions uh, that might draw our minds away from what you want to say to us? Um, Father, help us to listen uh, with receptive hearts, ready to put into action uh, the things that we hear. Uh, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we're going to read this morning. Uh, we're, we're in the, the middle section of Isaiah. Uh, we're we're going to come this morning to Isaiah chapter 49. And it'll be up on the screen behind me, uh, or you can follow along in your own Bible. Um, just to remind you, this middle section of Isaiah the people of God are in exile in Babylon, so God is speaking words of comfort and encouragement and sometimes challenge uh, to people who have lived through disaster, uh, and God is, is speaking to them in that place of exile. Um, Isaiah 49, uh, which we come to this morning, opens with um, another servant song. We mentioned a few weeks ago in Isaiah 42, these uh, songs of the servant, the servant of the Lord, uh, that are scattered through Isaiah. Um, and as with last time, there's, there's meant to be a little bit of a puzzle, I think, about who is this mysterious servant. Is it Isaiah the prophet? Is it the people of Israel? Is it someone else who's going to come later? 
and we're meant to be a little bit intrigued and puzzled. Sometimes it sounds like the servant is Israel, sometimes it sounds like it's not. And so we're meant to be drawn in by the, the puzzle a little bit. Um, maybe as we read this time in Isaiah 49, uh, what I especially want to draw attention to is the global scope and scale of the impact of God's servant. Uh, so maybe as we read, you can look out for that. The, the, the world being impacted, the globe, uh, the planet being impacted uh, by God's servant. So let's read uh, from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 49. We're going to read a little bit at the beginning and then jump a little later on in the chapter. It says this, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now we're going to jump down to verse 13. And it says this, Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That's where we're going to end our reading uh, this morning. Um, wonder, did you notice as we read the, the global scale and scope of the vision? Uh, let's just pick out a few of the phrases that kind of give that, um, that kind of big picture. Right at the beginning, um, it says, listen to me, you islands, hear this you distant nations. So this is not just about Judah and Israel or even just about Babylon. This is about uh, every part of planet Earth, all the islands, all the nations. Um, and God goes on to say, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. I love that phrase about displaying God's splendor. It can also be translated to show my beauty. So the, the task being given to God's servant is nothing less than to show God's beauty to the world, right? How's that for a calling? Uh, to show the beauty of God to the world. 
Uh, and then it goes on to say, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Um, so God's servant is not just going to restore the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And I love that little bit where it says, that would be too small. And the people, the people are sitting in exile thinking that would be pretty big if God could bring us back from exile and restore us and put us in a good place again. But it says that would be too small to stop there. Um, God's servant is also going to have an impact that reaches every corner of the world. He's going to be a light for the Gentiles, for all people. He's going to show God's beauty to all the islands and all the nations and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Right? It couldn't be any bigger, the, the scope of this vision. And I think that promise um, is beautiful and inspiring and uplifting. Uh, and the whole passage kind of builds uh, to a crescendo, talking about how God's going to restore his people, but also bless the world. And it kind of reaches this beautiful moment of praise where it says, shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains. It's called, actually calling the earth to join in with this song of praise. But then I wonder, did you notice how we kind of crashed down to earth with a bump? Because immediately after that burst of praise, we read this. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And I wonder if you ever had an experience uh, where you've been in a place where everyone else is full of joy and everyone else is celebrating and singing, but you are feeling sad and downhearted and alone. Um, it can happen sometimes when we come to worship with God's people, maybe, uh, maybe even this morning. Everyone else is singing songs of joy and hope, and you are feeling forgotten, forsaken. It's very, those are very strong words that the people of God use. I wonder, do you ever hear people speak words in church, and maybe the, the person at the front is talking about how, as God's people, we are called to be a light to the world and a blessing and bring God's love and good news to our neighbours and how God is going to use us to turn the world upside down. And you're hearing those words, and those words are beautiful and uplifting and inspiring. But you can almost feel mocked by them because you're thinking, I can barely get out of bed in the morning. You're thinking, I'm exhausted and overwhelmed and barely hanging on. You're thinking, I'm sad and discouraged and lonely, and I'm not in a place to be a light to anybody. Um, I feel forsaken. I feel forgotten. I feel alone. Um, I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Um, I wonder even if some of us are feeling that way this morning. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why you might feel like this. Um, it could be pain and illness in your life. Um, it could be anxiety and depression. Um, it could be unemployment or underemployment or a job you hate. It could be being single and longing to be married. Uh, it could be being married and longing for children. It could be being old and feeling left behind and overlooked. Um, it could be being let down and disappointed by friends. Um, it could be losing those you love. 
could be just feeling far away from God, feeling like it's a long time since you felt God's closeness. There's all kinds of reasons why we might find ourselves in a place where we say, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. And there are many, many times in scripture where people give voice to this feeling. And I want to make sure we hear that this morning. It's not an accident that's scattered all through the scriptures. There are these moments where people give voice to this feeling, especially in the Psalms, but also in Isaiah and in many other places in the Bible. Um, They bear witness to this common human experience that sometimes everyone around us is singing, but we feel forsaken and forgotten. Um, And I wonder, do you notice every time someone prays like that or speaks like that in the Bible, the thing I always notice um, is they're not struck by lightning. (laughs) They're not, the, the ground doesn't open up underneath them. They're not even told to be quiet and stop speaking like that. Um, Instead, what tends to happen is what happens in this passage, which is that God comes and meets them where they are and speaks words of tender love and encouragement. Um, And I think, I don't know if there's anywhere that the words come more tender and encouraging than in this passage. What does God say to his people when they say, God has forgotten me, God has forsaken me? He says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast, and have no compassion on the child she has born. Um, It's an extraordinary image that God uses to talk about how he feels about his people. In order to describe the love he has for his people, God reaches for the strongest human love I think we can imagine, the love of a mother for her newborn baby. Um, Of course, most most of the time in the Bible, God is described as father, um, and that's a really important image, and that language is really important. Um, But I wonder if you noticed every now and again in the Bible, in order to convey a particular quality to his love for his people, um, God uses the image of a mother. And so in the prophet Hosea, chapter 13, God is like a mother bear fiercely protecting her cubs. Or Jesus in Luke 13, as he weeps over Jerusalem, says, how, long I've ga- I've lo- how, how often I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. And in Psalm 131, the psalmist says, I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Um, what is it about the image of a mother with her child that is so evocative. Um, I think it speaks of a love that is tender and gentle, um, but also fiercely protective and loyal. It's those two things together, this tenderness and gentleness, but also this fierce protective loyalty. Um, And God asks, can a mother forget her child or have no compassion on the child she is born? And the expected answer is no way. And yet, we also know that in this fallen and broken world, even a mother's love is not perfect. Even the best mother can be inconsistent with her love and clumsy with her love. Um, And sometimes, you and I know, 
A mother can give her child up, feeling unable to cope or provide what the child needs. And sometimes a mother can neglect her child or become cold. And sometimes a mother can even hurt her own child. And sometimes a mother can turn away and harden her heart and become estranged from her own child. That can happen in our world. Um, and so God says something even stronger. Did you notice as we read? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion in the child she is born? Um, God goes on to say, though she may forget, I will not forget you. And so God takes the highest and best of human loves and then says, my love is deeper and stronger than that. You've got to take the best love you've experienced in uh, human experience and then multiply it exponentially. His love is more tender and more gentle and more fiercely loyal and more protective than any love you've seen or experienced, even than the love of a mother for her child. Um, I was thinking as I thought about this passage uh, about a, you're going to get your little Hebrew, Hebrew word for, for the week, uh, a Hebrew word that's actually not in this passage, but that I feel this passage defines maybe better than any other passage in, in the Bible. Uh, and it's the Hebrew word, I'm going to spit on the people in the front row when I say this, the word is chesed, um, usually spelled in English as H-E-S-E-D. Um, if you go and visit Alistair and Carolyn, you'll find that their house is called Chesed, which is a, a beautiful name for a house. Um, it's used in the Old Testament again and again to describe God's love. Uh, it's used about 250 times in the Old Testament. Um, it's a difficult word to translate. So the King James uh, traditionally used loving kindness, uh, which is a lovely, lovely phrase, uh, which captures the tenderness of the word, but maybe not the fierce loyalty that's there as well. And so some other translations have steadfast love or unfailing love. It's a love with great tenderness, but also with great loyalty and fierceness and protectiveness. Um, I think often our songwriters convey that kind of love um, maybe better than the, the dictionary translators. Um, so one old hymn talks about the love that will not let me go. Um, I think that's as good a definition as you'll find of God's chesed. Um, or a modern song speaks of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, which chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. Um, I know I've said before, for me, the best translation uh, in any version of the Bible uh, is in the Jesus Storybook Bible for children, which describes God's love as his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's as good a definition, I think, as you'll find. Um, although Isaiah 49 doesn't use that word, uh, that's the kind of love being communicated here. Though your mother may forget you, I will not forget you. Um, and the, the passage that we read then switches metaphor from talking about a mother with her child. We come to this incredibly striking image, which is uh, actually the phrase I want to highlight especially this morning. Um, God says, see 
I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What, what does that image convey to you? What does it communicate about the love of God? Um, for me, it, it conveys a number of things. It conveys something incredibly personal. Um, I was thinking about the fact God, God doesn't have a body, um, and yet he, he talks about writing on his hands because he's, he's talking about writing on his own person. I have engraved you on, my, on the palm of my own hands. It's incredibly personal and intimate. Um, it also speaks of something really constant. Um, I don't know how many of you ever write a little note for yourself on your hand. Anybody ever write, write with a pen on your hand to remind yourself of an appointment? Why do we write it on our hand rather than a bit of paper? Because we can easily forget the bit of paper or lose the bit of paper, but you always have your hand with you, right? You can't forget your hand. And so every, t- every time you see your hand as you go about your day, you're reminded. And so it speaks of a love that is constant. God is not going to forget. Um, it also speaks, I think, of a love that is permanent. Um, uh, and that, that's seen, I think, especially in the word engraved that's here. Um, when you and I write on our hand, if you write with a biro, it gets smudged as you go about your day. Or maybe you have a shower and forget, and then afterwards you're trying to look at it and go, what was that I was trying to remind myself of? If you, if you wrote with permanent marker, it would last a little bit longer. But here God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. And it's the image of something being carved into stone that's not going anywhere, that's going to be there forever. So it's something permanent. Um, But it also speaks, I think, of a love that is costly. I think actually it's right that when you hear this phrase, although it's beautiful, you should also wince a little bit when you hear it. The image of engraving something on a hand. Um, You can't engrave something on a hand without pain and without blood and without leaving a scar. Um, It speaks of an an image that is um, painful and costly. And so I think this image in Isaiah, hundreds of years before the fact, points forward to a day when God would take on a human body with human hands and would allow those hands to be taken and pierced and then would experience in his own person what it is to be forsaken and abandoned by God and cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, There's a, a song that says, come see his hands on his feet, the scars that speak of sacrifice, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. This is our God, the servant king. It's the servant of Isaiah. He's the one who has written us, engraved us on the palms of his hands. And so whenever you are feeling forsaken and forgotten, what I want to suggest this morning is that Jesus comes to you as he came once to Thomas, and he says, look at my hands. See my hands. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I've loved you with an everlasting love, with a love that will not let you go. And I've been to the place of forsakenness and forgottenness.
for you. You're not forgotten. You're not forsaken. He has engraved you on his hands. Um, this week, um, the start of the week, uh, I had a conversation with someone, um, and I can't tell you any of the details, but they've given me permission to tell you the story vaguely uh, without details. Um, but they, they, they've been going through an extraordinarily hard time, uh, just a, re- a really unimaginably hard time. Um, and they were, they were in the prayer room upstairs a number of weeks ago, uh, praying and crying out to God in their despair. And someone else from church happened to come past and saw them and saw that they were distressed. Uh, it was someone they knew a little bit but didn't know very well. But this person knocked the door and just asked if they were okay. And he said he wasn't okay. Uh, said, I can't tell you why, but no, I'm not okay. And the other person asked if they could pray with them. And so they started to pray. And they started to pray in ways that sounded like they knew what this person was going through and they didn't know. Uh, they prayed in ways that were just what they needed. But then they, they paused in their prayer and they said, there's something I feel God wants me to say to you. And they then spoke four words which couldn't have made much sense to the person speaking them. But if you knew the story of what the other person was going through, they were, of all the words in the world, the words that he most needed to hear. Exactly the four words he most needed to hear. And he fell on his knees and he started to weep. Why? Because in that moment he knew he was not forsaken. And he was not forgotten. That he was seen and he was known and he was loved. And God had sent someone and given them a little bit of courage to knock the door and then to share uh, words that didn't make any sense to them that God had put on their heart. Um, I guess maybe what I want to convey as we, as we finish and I want to pray, pray for us uh, is for anybody here this morning um, or listening this week who is feeling forsaken and forgotten, my, my prayer is that one way or another, God will get that message through to you will let you know that you're not forsaken, that you're not forgotten, that he sees, that he knows, that he loves, that he's written you on his hands. Um, And so let's pray. Uh, And if that's not where you are this morning, maybe you would join me in praying for others who are around you, who may be in that place, um, or others who are on your heart. Um, So let's pray together. And then we're we're gonna sing. Father, I want to thank you that in your love for us, you include moments like this in scripture where people give voice to these really painful experiences of feeling forgotten and forsaken 